Welcome to Complete Edition, the podcast between a PlayStation trophy hunter and an Xbox achievement hunter. This is episode 18. I'm your host, Compulsive Nerd, and I am joined by AJ. How you doing, AJ? I'm doing well. I had a uh, nice Christmas and a happy new year. I hope everyone else did and, and that you did as well. Yeah, dude. I, I hope that I hope that you had a super great holiday. Everything went super smooth. It's weird because my holiday doesn't feel over. I had Christmas like four days after because like the family just couldn't get together all at once. And then like all my mom's sisters and brothers, like my mom's side of the family, they do a big Christmas like get together. But my uncle had surgery on his eye. He had a, he had like a detached retina. And so they're like, we're just going to postpone until he's healed up. And then we'll like, we'll get together as a family. So it's like the holiday's over, but it's not. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always weird for me because, uh, my birthday is January 6th. So it's oh, sort of wow. like immediately after new year. Dude, um, that is like coming up. That's three days away. Yep. That's happy, happy early birthday. I'll, I'll make sure to tell you on your birthday too. <laughs> But damn, that's awesome. I did not know that. Yeah, thank you. It's always, it always like comes super quickly because you're so focused on Christmas and New Year and then it's like immediately there. But it's uh it's kind of good. I, I like that it's in sort of the holiday period, but like also not like right on top of Christmas as well, you know. Absolutely. Uh, sort of separated slightly. Do you feel like it's hectic or chaotic? Uh a bit. You know, I um I'm like working again tomorrow, so uh it's sort of like you know before christmas it's like everything's winding down and then you've got like a ton of stuff when you get back to like deal with all at once so that's that's gonna be uh tricky but i'm i'm feeling uh refreshed and rejuvenated and i got to play quite a lot of games which was which was good same here same here and like i actually got some really cool like christmas gifts my brother got me like a footrest which i needed for my gaming chair because i'm a short i'm pretty short i'm like five eight and I want my chair to be as high as it can because I have my TV mounted. So the higher I am, the more level I am with the TV. And my feet will dangle off of my my gaming chair. Like they will literally hang. And so I was like, I, I could really use a footrest, something that like, le- like brings the floor up or I can put on things. And my brother got me this awesome footrest and I can like put it anywhere. I've been putting it in my bed, just like constantly having my feet up and like on a cushion. And it's just so nice, dude. It's like, I, I don't know why i didn't think about getting one of these sooner like it's just it's such a clutch gift it's been making gaming really awesome and (laughs) yeah i mean just the same as you i've been gaming a lot i've been also obsessed with witcher just because you know the show came out and after the show came out i don't know i got into this fantasy kick i've been i finished like three witcher books this week and i'm I'm gonna finish the series probably by the next time time we do the show so I'm really hoping that I can get through all those. And then maybe I'll start reading the Harry Potter books. And and also I watched the first Harry Potter movie last night on my OLED. And that was really special. Number one, because the CGI doesn't hold up at all. And it was so funny. But it was like also a throwback because it's like, like, I'm old enough that I grew up like I was their age when they were doing those movies. So I'm going to be able to like go on this journey of like growing up with them. It's it's crazy. And I And I've seen about four of the Harry Potter movies. I fell off after that. But it's been really cool to like jump back into these fantasies. And I actually was going to ask you, like, do you recommend any like fantasy games? I, I just a little bit ago, I was like looking up fantasy games and I got to try Skyrim again, but I think I'm going to wait for PSVR two and then I'm going to play Skyrim on NVR because I think that that'll be way more immersive for me. I just can't with that world, dude. It's so gray and dull and like I just could not get into it. I couldn't get into it when it first came out on PS3 and 
I think it's time that I gave it another shot because I love fantasy so much. I think it might be my favorite genre, which if I say that in the Discord, people like blow up. I don't know what it is, but some people hate fantasy. They hate fantasy. And I just love it. I love it so much. I love elves and dwarves and weird towns and settlements. You know what I mean? Like just blacksmiths and all that stuff. Swords. I just find it so much more interesting than gun guns and like sci-fi. But I'm not a hater of sci-fi in any way. I love sci-fi too. I'm just in I a never, really big fantasy kick. I never have a... Uh, like I, I find it hard to relate to sort of the favorite genre thing because I never really... Even even when I used to, like, I used to read a lot of, of books. I, I never really, or, or, like, you know, watch films. I never really, I guess, differentiate between genres like that. Like, in terms of genre as in, like, fantasy is obviously a setting, right? Like, it can be both a genre and a setting, I suppose, in terms of how it's defined. But you can have, like, such a broad variety of stories in the fantasy sort of realm, I guess. The uh, same for, like, sci-fi, right? Like, you could have, like something horrific happen in fantasy and something horrific happen in sci-fi or you know something action oriented and that sort of thing so i feel like it it's never um it's never there's never any like either like sci-fi or fantasy that's really attracted me more than the other or sort of repelled me more than the other i think in terms of i mean the classic debate was always between uh, at least in terms of Bethesda fans, was always between Fallout and Elder Scrolls, right? Because it was like this, like post-war, post-apocalypse sort of sci-fi kind of game versus you know the the high fantasy stuff of the Elder Scrolls, and they used to alternate releases. So on that end of things, I always preferred the Fallout games, but I just think that it's because they're just better games rather than the fact that like I prefer a genre over the other. I think. I haven't played too much fantasy stuff. I played some of uh, Kingdoms Kingdoms of Amalur. That game's pretty good. I'd recommend it. I like Skyrim more over time. I hated it at first, but I've played through it a few more times and it's pretty good. I think uh, geographically, it's still quite interesting. A lot of the caves feel like duplicates of themselves. They are all unique technically, but they feel very, very samey to each other. That's probably my biggest problem with the diversity of the world. But I think there's good, like, you know, there's beautiful lakes and rivers and there's mountains and, you know, snow and different monsters based on different regions. So I think it does a pretty good job in terms of that. The cities feel distinct to me. Um, and there's all the factions and stuff like that as well. Like you always remember like where the Thieves Guild is and where like all the mages are and that sort of thing. Right. So I, I, I quite like Skyrim. Uh, I think the world's okay in that game. I'd say my favorite fantasy game ever is probably Dark Souls, which I'm sure is the same for many people. And, and I'm sure a few people are sort of repulsed by that as well, because, you know, that those games are so uh, sort of difficult and unforgiving. But I really like the world in that game. I think Dark Souls has, it's like not only my favorite fantasy game, it's probably the best world design I've ever seen in a video game. The way the world in that game wraps around itself so that you're never too far away from like the central area and you've got like such like like that you can go on a continuous run from like the top of Sen's fortress all the way down to blight town and uh sort of a uh, quaylag's domain and all of those places so you can sort of go like really close to the heavens and then you can go all the way into this like poisonous like boggy swamp and then you can keep going down to these like hell pits basically of like lava and magma and everything. And I, I always love that, that there's no loading screens that you can just go 
across the whole world as you see fit and and i i really love the way they do that and also you don't need a vehicle you don't need fast travel you don't need a vehicle you don't need like a horse or anything like that and i just love that world design more than anything i've ever played before so uh you do get a fast travel system and there's some stuff where it is useful it does become useful very late in the game but for the first half of that game it's just pure perfection in terms of the way the world is set out like laid out and builds on top of each other in just a really satisfying way and did you say that was dark souls one specifically okay yeah see that i saw that on some fantasy lists like i started looking up you know best fantasy games to play or best high fantasy like i specifically was looking for high fantasy and it's crazy how many people define fantasy so differently so differently dude there was one list that had stardew valley and i was like what how is this how is like a farming sim a fantasy game like he because he mines like yeah i mean that's why i kind of don't like i know people who are like like you'll hear like like they'll be excited for a game and then they'll be like it's a it's a fantasy game and they're like oh all my excitement's gone and it's like what how like how does it change it it's like what i said at the start of this segment like to me it doesn't mean anything on its own like it doesn't it doesn't evoke a reaction from me because i i feel like there's so many different types of story you can tell within any genre that i'm not never gonna immediately write it off as like this sucks Yeah. Um, yeah but yeah dark souls one is really great and it's got the rest of the souls games never have as good world design as the first one has even like sekiro and bloodborne they're all like the way the way the levels build on top of each other in in dark souls is basically immaculate especially for the first half or 75 percent of the game i've never played it i need to play that that sounds like something that's that i should play yeah if you really want like you'll have like like you go to a different area and you and and when you get to so you start out in like this uh asylum place and then you get out of there and then you're basically given like free reign on the world and like you can run to areas which i always love i love this in fallout and uh elder scrolls as well where you can go to like a late game area well not technically the latest game but like a mid game area immediately and just get absolutely destroyed like you can just run to the catacombs or something and just get like destroyed by skeletons when you're like not supposed to be there and i love games that give you that level of freedom because it's exciting to me as like uh someone who likes dynamic difficulty in games and someone who likes creative speed runs and stuff like that like oh what if you sequence break and like you kill this super hard boss before you do like the easy boss that you're supposed to do first like i love when games give you that level of control and that freedom and also that sense of discovery like when you when you drop into that world you can go in like four different directions and like each one takes you to like a vastly different place and just that learning and there's no map in the game as well that's another thing about dark souls there's no map screen you can't press a button to get a map up you have to basically remember everything you have to remember the whole world and where you're going but it feels so easy and intuitive at least it did to me because of how distinctive every area is like there's no way you're going to confuse one area for another area like you you will just know where everything is eventually and it's just it's just magical you know and um you you mentioned harry potter it's like there's stuff in that world that's really cool like uh i was you know thinking about it recently about you know you've got like diagon alley and like gringotts bank and like hogwarts itself to explore and then like all like the quidditch stuff and you just like you have just such like iconic imagery and iconic locales that you can just retain in your memory forever because they're so 
distinctive and you've got like Hogsmeade and like the, the like wizard's village and all that. And, you know, the King's cross, you know, train station and everything. Like it's, it's awesome. I, I love that kind of stuff. I've been, I've been to the Harry Potter world in universal. Like, like I said, I've seen four of the movies. And so I was like seeing the references. I understood. I bought Ron's wand and I like, I went around and I like, they have these cool like i don't know infrared like deals where it'll show you like how to move the wand and if you do it then the park like has like a reaction and you like i was fun because you could see little kids like trying to do it and i'd be behind them and i would whip my wrist and like get it right and then it would go off and the kid thought they did it and i'm like that is so awesome that like just the way this park park is built and like books are flying off the shelf because you're doing that and then they're going back up on the shelf so that the next person can come by and do it and it's just like I don't know, man. It's it's magical. That's the way to like say it. But man, I I went to the train station. You know, I've I've seen so much of that world. Like I can't even describe how how cool that was. But you you know you mentioned Fallout versus Skyrim, and I told you like I do prefer genres. Like I really love fantasy. I think that when I'm into it, I get really really into it, and I love the world building and stuff. But I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna say no to these games. But I agree with you. I know how to look at a game and neglect genre and be like, yeah, this game is better than that game. And I don't like Skyrim, never have. And I need to try to get into it and I want to try to get into it. But I think that if I do it in VR, I'll be way more into it. But I love Fallout 4 and it's the only Fallout I've played. And I know that makes a lot of people cringe because they're like, you should play New Vegas. You should play three. Those are the better ones. And it's like, I know that. Those two are better, definitely. Dude, I had such a journey with Fallout 4. It came out the same year as Witcher 3 and Witcher 3, hands down, is my favorite game. And it's in that high fantasy genre. And I just looked at at Witcher 3 and then I looked at Fallout and I'm like, how do these come out in the same year? Like how? Like they look so different. One is super jank and one is like a masterpiece. And I just was, they were up for game of the year against each other. And I'm like, if anyone chooses Fallout 4, they are are brain dead because this is just like not that good. And then, you know, I started it five times. I started Fallout 4 five times. I'm like, I got to do this. I got to do this. I know it's a good game because it's up for game of the year. I like, I know it is. I, I had coworkers who were like gush about it and I'm like, I got to play it. And I just could not get into it. And then there was one time where it clicked and man, I platinumed it. I did not all the DLC. I still want to go back to like the Coke world because I didn't get all the trophies there. But like just exploring that world, being there, I understand. I'm pretty sure Fallout formula is also the same as Elder Scrolls, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that I would like it. Well, um, I, I think Fallout 4 is OK. It's not great. It's, it's all right. But That's part of the reason for that is because Fallout New Vegas is my favorite role-playing game of all time. I think I don't think anything will ever surpass it. To be honest, like I, I don't, I, I think it's so good that I'm like I don't, I don't see like Starfield or anything from Bethesda Game Studios or even from Obsidian. I can't imagine anything surpassing it. And I need to play, you know, The Witcher games and and Cyberpunk and all of that. But it seems uh, un- unlikely that anything will top it for me. And a lot of the RPG elements are stripped down in Fallout 4. Fallout 4 is much more casual. It's much more mainstream. The combat is more of a focus. The dialogue is pretty bad in terms of like flexibility. Like you'd have so like I guess I'll give you an example, right? So in Fallout New Vegas, you have tons and tons of dialogue options and each of them will like drastically change the direction of a quest. And there's like options nested within options. And also based on your skills, you will have different options. And a lot of the time they'll be grayed out and some will sort of magically appear once you have the skill. Others, it will let you know that you don't have the requisite skill yet. So like, you know, you can have like speech skills and explosive skills and hacking and 
well, hacking is in science and lock picking and stuff like that. And when you talk to people, you'll have those options come up and give you like unique solutions to encounters. And that dialogue system is really deep. But the problem with it is because there's so much dialogue, they couldn't get the protagonist to be fully voice acted for like every single possible thread of dialogue because it would have just taken way too long. So the voice acting is from the other characters and your protagonist is silent. Well, in Fallout 4, what they did is they made your protagonist have a voice. And the consequence of that is that you essentially have four options in every conversation and those four options are the same. And basically those four options are also essentially one option or two options because it's like, it's like, yes, no, uh, can you give me some more information? And then, like, no, sarcastically, and it, like, means yes, basically. So you, you really don't have any of the depth in the dialogue system in Fallout 4 that you did have in Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas. And there's a lot of aspects like that in terms of the design, where it's, like, it's more casual, it's more, it's more refined in, in some ways in terms of, like, production quality if that makes sense, but it it lost a lot of the identity of the series and what sort of the RPG fans loved about the games, uh, I think. So I'm hoping, you know, Starfield dials up the RPG mechanics a bit. It's funny as well, like, one final thing is that this seems to be a thing with Bethesda where they've made, like, each game is, like, less RPG than the last and is more sort of, like, open world, like, more mainstream, like, almost like, you know, I don't know, like, almost like GTA-like in a way in terms of that they've stripped down the RPG mechanics and built up the action game mechanics for sort of a wider appeal. And it's funny because you even look back at like Morrowind and back when Morrowind was out, when you um, like attacked enemies, it was like a percentage chance. And I know the Witcher, the old Witcher games have some mechanics like that, where it's like, even the combat is like based on like dice rolls and stuff. And it's like on your screen, it can look like you're hitting a guy, but because it's all like done by like stats and by like RPG aspects, it like doesn't even, you know, register. So like over time, they've really dialed back the RPG elements. And for me, Fallout 4 went sort of too far in that direction. I think Fallout New Vegas was sort of the perfect balance in terms of like the combat and the story and the mechanics just all coming together brilliantly see and that's that is exactly why i think that fallout 4 is okay because i just played the the witcher which that rpg i have so much to say about in terms of like relating it to your your new vegas conversation because you know new vegas is your favorite rpg and witcher is mine but like fallout 4 just didn't hit on the story that hard and the acting was like mid and it just kind of like was there but I actually enjoyed the gameplay a lot because you said that they like focused on the the mainstream like action. Yeah, the moment to moment like fighting yeah. enemies and getting through encounters is what they Absolutely. focused on. And you could tell and I had fun doing that. But and the story did drag me through a little bit like it pulled me through. If it wasn't there, you know, I would have definitely dropped the game because I just don't have fun when there's not a story, which is why Dark Souls and all those like lose me because they're just so out there and like so far-fetched that i get lost in the world like i'm like i don't know what's going on i don't i don't care what's going on and i don't care to play farther because i don't care like and that's sad and I, if i go to youtube i'll figure it out and I'm, I'm sure it's cool as shit but it's like i just want to be in the game and like not taken out and i'm taken out whenever i can't figure shit out and witcher the reason that i wanted to like talk about witcher is because you talked about how there's so many dialogue options and it drastically changes quests and stuff But I think that Witcher does it so incredibly well and keeps to one character because, you you know, 
I'm guessing in Fallout, you you are the character. You are making these decisions. But the thing is, like, you're role playing as Geralt. And, like, when you make choices for him. Yeah, it's sort of yeah. like uh, Mass Effect, right? In terms of that, right. like, Commander Shepard is a person that you yes. are playing as and sort of you're shaping him slightly. But it's also, he's also his own thing. Yes. And there's 36 endings to The Witcher. Okay, but there's three like main character, like main story endings. So you you can be on this quest and you have that one main if you like mainline it, they say it's like shorter. It's like 25 hours or something. But if you do that, you're not going to get the Witcher experience because you're missing out on like who you're putting in power and like what's happening in these cities and these different characters that are alive or dead based on your decisions. And it's like there are so many good voiced cutscenes. like the performances are incredible it's just like it's the most immersed I've ever been in any game because like I'm learning where these where these creatures are coming from. It's like they have their hab their habitats and their in their environment. Like I said, I I was exploring the world and you know like 50 hours into the game I'm exploring like you know this this weird foggy area and then I I meet this gargoyle which is like a creature that I had never seen encountered. I knew nothing about it and I'm just like I can't fight this because I don't know the class of creature it is. I don't know. I don't like I have to go do research before I come back here and fight this creature. And that's like that's what a witcher does. You know, they they know monsters. They have to know their weaknesses. They have to know what potions will help, which magic will help. Like it's it's so well done with its with its combat and it's things like that. And, you you know, you talked about like you can go to the late game areas and fight those creatures and you can do that in Witcher if you know what you're doing with those creatures. They can be much higher level and you're going to struggle, but if you know what you're doing, you can definitely damage them. Like, yeah, there's... Um, I love the the world design of, of Fallout New Vegas for that reason as well. There's, like, you're trying to get to, like, the Strip. Like, that's, like, your first objective in the game. Like, your first big benchmark objective. And you can... It's beautiful as well because you're in the Mojave Desert in nevada of course and you're like looking you know like nevada california area and then you're like you can like look out from close to the start of the game and just see this like barren wasteland but then this like beautiful like vegas like all the lights and everything and you see it and you're like i want to get there like i really really want to get there and there's the way the game like there's basically one route to go there that's like the planned route where if you follow the main story quest path and all the side quests, even the side quests will like guide you down that route. Like you go to like Novak and Nipton and all of these like towns on the way, but you can totally just like beeline it straight for Vegas and like avoid all of that. But if you do, you are almost guaranteed to die because in like, e even though it's like open world, each way you go, except for, like, the main story path, you run into, like, truly horrifying th things, essentially. Like, I don't want to say much more about it, but, like, you, you essentially... Like, th the gameplay will force you or heavily encourage you to go a specific way. And then also, when you get to Vegas, finally, again, I, I don't want to say too much, but obviously that's not the end of the game. That's, like, 20% of the way through the game. And you know, you meet tons of people there and it's, it's amazing, but, and there's tons of casinos and it's just brilliant. And then you also have to figure out like how to gain entrance to it because obviously it's heavily fortified and guarded. And also you don't want to just like kill everyone. Like that's not really feasible into, and a lot of people are friendly and fine. They just don't want to let you in until you have like some, some way to prove yourself. Right. So, and there's so many different ways to get in. Like it, you could look it up on like the wiki and there's got to be like 10 11 ways you can you can get in 
to to the strip and it's like and there's tons of different factions and the writing in in the game is amazing because it's really not black and white like there's no there's a lot of quests a lot of side quests where there's no like good outcome essentially like you have to make a judgment call and it will affect things through the wider world and then even the factions are like heavily political essentially like there's the ncr there's caesar's legion uh there's mr house and mr house wants this like libertarian utopia type place you know he's almost like an andrew ryan style figure and the ncr are sort of remnants of like the old world in terms of like the military and you know then you have like caesar's legion who are just like savages essentially and you know believe in like the roman empire and all this stuff and it's just so cool like there's so many different factions and it's like the game feels like it isn't really judging you it feels like it's encouraging you to sort of think for yourself and like do what and each sort of path is so fleshed out and lets you like experiment and like fuck around and like become super evil or like even maybe go down the evil path, but sort of try to rationalize itself and like justify it to like that game is just, um, it's just wonderful in basically every, every way. And they improved on the combat from fallout three, because in fallout three, you could never aim down sights with any of the guns. And also there wasn't that many unique weapons. In fact, in Fallout 4, I think the unique weapons are less interesting than the ones in New Vegas. There's like this, in New Vegas, there's tons and tons of guns, but there's one, for example, like this mysterious handgun where when you unholster it, it like plays like a jingle and like, it's just like a unique gun. And there's like, there's tons of like unique laser weapons and melee weapons and like power fists. And yeah, it's just, it's just, simply fantastic it's one of my top five games of all time for sure i really i really want to play it you're selling me so hard on this game because i just i love all the elements that you're talking about those are like what comprise witcher like that's what makes it so good and i haven't played the other games okay i haven't played one or two i just played three but the thing about three that's so interesting is you know we talked about dialogue options and the dialogue options are so heavily what make the game they don't have that little icon that's like oh this is a brain or this is the this is the heart or this is evil it's like you can choose things that you think are right and it's so gray that it's like you can't really tell like i i'm not going to spoil anything about what happened or what storyline or what any anything but I I was trying to help somebody and they ended up hanging themselves and I restarted the game because I was like I was like I don't I don't know what I did wrong like I'm I am I'm responsible for his death and I I want I want to like fix this I want I want to know what's right and I I should have kept it so that's like that's my story but it fucked me up so bad like I was like I was like I have to I have to restart and so it has all of these gray storylines but if you think you don't know anything about The Witcher, they have a dialogue options that are like, so there will be gold dialogue options and then there's gray ones. And gray ones open up completely different dialogue trees that might end up getting you extra quests or whatever. But basically the gray dialogue options are to tell you backstory about characters, like asking about events that happened and or like working working the dialogue into the world so that if someone didn't play Witcher 1 or Witcher 2, they understand what's happening because it's told through dialogue, like a situation that already occurred. So you won't ever feel lost. And if you do, you can just explore the dialogue and be like, oh, okay, so that's what they were talking about. They were talking about this event. And it's just, it's so incredibly well done. And it sucks that they they botched Cyberpunk so bad because I think that a lot of people talk about how good the writing is and how good the story is and things like that. And it's just like they botched it and it sucks because 
Like, I, I think they have the potential to be one of the best RPG studios out there. And I think that Bethesda does too. Like, obviously they have, they had the capabilities to make Vegas and it just, it sucks. That they didn't, games they didn't make uh, Vegas. Um, Ooh, who did? Obsidian. Obsidian. So and they're making that, they're making that fantasy game, aren't they? Yeah. They're making a vowed. Yeah. Oh I yeah, really... dude, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny, right? Because it's like Obsidian worked with Bethesda. Like they, they made Fallout New Vegas under them. And then Obsidian got like, they did like the Outer Worlds after that. And then mid development, they got acquired by Microsoft. Yeah. And then they announced like, and then Obsidian announced like their version of like Elder Scrolls basically is what everyone's calling it in terms of Avowed. And then like, as that's in development, Microsoft acquires Bethesda. So it's like they've got like they're almost like sister studios in a way. Like they've had they've had like a tumultuous, like rough relationship of like ups and downs. Famously, Fallout New Vegas was one point on Metacritic below like a threshold for everyone to get get paid bonuses, which is kind of fucked up. So like they didn't get the bonus because it, it their Metacritic score wasn't high enough for Bethesda to be happy with them on the game it's funny as well because that game fallout new vegas it's like i played through it's it's one of those games where sort of the game is so deep in some ways that it isn't really clear how genius it is on its on your first playthrough like if you don't mess around with the systems and try to do different outcomes if that makes sense like if you just go through it like on one path then it feels sort of I don't know. It, it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily fully open itself up to everything, and it also had technical issues at launch as well, which didn't help. Because what is, what is the, the hunting like in that game? Because you're talking about different paths. Is it multiple playthroughs, or like how does that work? There's a lot of main factions and a lot of smaller factions, and you essentially have to beat the game with every. So there's multiple things going on. So first of all, there's like Caesar's Legion, Mister House, Yes Man, and the New California Republic. And each of those has their own like main ending and main quest line. And what will happen is you'll get to a point in the main quest where it's like, if you go any further for this person, these other people will try and hunt you down and kill you for the rest of the game. Like this is like the point of like, you've got to commit now to like one of these and you can sort of keep the plate spinning for a bit. Like if you know what you're doing, you can sort of, you can sort of be like shanking one in the back while like they don't really know, like if you know the order of doing the quests in, which is like another really, really cool aspect of the game. But eventually you get to the point where it's like, you got to like pick one of these groups essentially to side with and like everything's going to go fucking crazy. Like as soon as you, as soon as you commit to it. So you, you have to get achievements for each of those, but then there's like another layer of it because there's also a karma system in the game in terms of good karma and bad karma, like Fallout 3. And so you've like got all these factions which are on their own, and then you've also got this karma system as well that you have to deal with, and you can choose where to sort of take that. Um, and yeah, it's just really fantastic. I mean, as well, the game, it's quite sad because the game was really rushed. The game took 18 months to make from like beginning to end. Like It had an 18-month development cycle, and this is a huge role-playing game right so you'd think it would have like a huge development cycle but no they got like they were given 18 months and the reason they were given 18 months was it was going to be like an expansion to fallout 3 it was going to be like a dlc type thing that was like the original deal but like the game got like more and more ambitious that they were like we need to make it a full spin-off and they somehow did it in 18 months and put it out and it's just amazing um but at launch it was really buggy and as you can tell, you know, they only had 18 months to make it. So, you know, you could sort of see why. 
and also Bethesda, you know, their engine, right? The creation engine and their games, they, you know, they, they seem to be a nightmare in terms of bug fixing. Like I don't, I don't just think it's necessarily like the studio being incompetent. I think that like the way those games are made seems to be very, very challenging. You know, you don't really see anyone else do what they do in terms of like physics objects and things like that like you know like how in like skyrim and fallout you can like pick up everything individually and like yes like there's tons of stuff like that like it it seems like i have some sympathy because i'm like it seems like a nightmare to you know i don't really know anything about game development but it seems like a nightmare to optimize those games and yeah so it had technical issues at launch and it was a spin-off and so at first the reviews were sort of they were good but they were like this isn't quite up to fallout 3's level and fallout 3 is fantastic as well I think I prefer New Vegas, but then like over time, if you look at like the lists from like IGN and from all these companies and like lists of like the greatest games of all time, it seems to be like people look back now and they're like Fallout New Vegas was the best tends to be the opinion. It's either New Vegas or Fallout three seems to be like those two are like the big two. And, but you know, it's because Fallout four reviewed better than New Vegas even. So it's sort of like over time, the community and the, critics have sort of gone back and like reevaluated it and been like okay so this this was the best we just sort of didn't it was like ahead of its time where it's like we didn't get it and it is it is janky and there is aspects of it that are fucked up but it's like in terms of the depth you get and in terms of the writing and the quest design it's just like unmatched in terms of the rest of the series will we ever get a remaster maybe i think it might have got fps boost on xbox i know it's annoying because Bethesda at first didn't seem happy with New Vegas for like some people speculate it was because the reviews weren't as hot as they wanted. And then the other thing is Obsidian sort of challenged the king, if that makes sense. Like, like, you know, Bethesda owns the IP of Fallout and then Obsidian come in and they make like an amazing, amazing game and they make it really, really quickly. And so it's kind of like Bethesda sort of have an awkward relationship with New Vegas because it's like they love the game and the game's great, but it's like you don't want to put too much attention on it because you'd rather put attention on like Fallout 4 or like 76 yeah. or something, right? Because it's like their, their thing. So I don't think a remaster will come. It's weird because the speculation seems to be that there'd be like a Fallout 4 remaster first, which kind of sucks because it's like, like, why? It, it's annoying because they did that with Skyrim as well, right? Like Skyrim already had a remaster for Xbox One and PS4, and now they've done like another anniversary edition for it. And it's kind of like, why are you doing that? But then like nothing for like Oblivion or like Morrowind or Fallout 3 or because those games need it more, right? Like people, um, like there was that whole thing about like, you know, The Last of Us getting a remaster as well. And it's like, it's like, it just seems weird that you don't go back to like the older games. And I, I guess the reason is money, right? Because fallout 4 sold you know well skyrim sold so many copies to over 30 million copies sold in terms of skyrim that that game they're like if we're going to remake one we're going to remake that one because you know fallout new vegas probably sold 5 million copies 8 million copies maybe something like that so when they're deciding between them they're gonna they're gonna pick skyrim every time essentially so which which is sad to me because i love it and i hope that we get a fallout new vegas too i don't know if we ever will it seems like it feels like it has to happen in a way like because in exile as well brian fargo's studio they make a wasteland and wasteland was like the essentially like a prequel to fallout in terms of like it really heavily inspired it and that team and black isle were sort of closely attached to each other so you've got like all of the like 
you've got like all of the fallout studios and all of the studios that make that kind of rpg essentially together under xbox now so you'd think that they'd like like the the dream is that they all get together and are like hey let's collaborate on a fallout game together and it'll be awesome because we all know what we're doing like uh in exile are really great at those like crpgs like the top down sort of like tactics style role-playing games and their games have like tons and tons of depth and then obsidian are great at like i mean they're, they're just brilliant at like more conventional like action rpgs in terms of like modern stylings of rpgs and then bethesda have gotten better at making like smoother gameplay and combat experiences so you feel like if all three of them came together somehow it would be a managing nightmare but you you could see something incredible and it's sad as well because if this doesn't happen it's going to be frustrating because bethesda are making starfield right now and then after that they're making elder scrolls 6 so elder scrolls 6 is going to come out in what like 2028 maybe 2020 like a long time away basically it's going to take like after after starfield comes out it's going to take like five six years probably for them to make an elder scrolls 6 and so only after that could they make fallout 5 which means like you're going to be in like the 2030s until you see fallout again if they if they don't give it to like obsidian or in exile or someone else to sort of help them out with it which i think they should do because i don't think they can I don't think they can sustain Fallout 76. Like, uh, it's not, it's nowhere near good enough as a game for them to, like, like if people really love, you know, people love uh, Final Fantasy 14, right? Like, people really love that game. And so you could make an argument that, like, they could delay other Final Fantasies or something because they've got, like, the remake in the works in terms of Final Fantasy 7 and they've got Final Fantasy 14 that's popping off and everyone loves it. Fallout 76 is like the exact opposite where it's like everyone thinks this game fucking sucks and this is the thing that you're like left with for like 10 years essentially for this IP. It's like to me that doesn't seem like a good a good thing for the fans and it doesn't seem like a good thing for the IP or for the business either like it just seems like nonsense like you know like Rockstar with GTA like GTA 5 people loved GTA 5 so you can kind of you can understand at least like the business sense and the that like you can understand the perspective of like we can keep this game going for a very very long time while we make yeah. something new but with 76 i can't understand that at all so i hope they they do something yeah and you know and ubisoft fell off like i don't know if you heard about the exodus that happened but damn jesus dude i'm now that ubisoft is like gone down the the shitter it's definitely like gonna open up a lot of game time like i'm not gonna play these games as a service games that they're gonna start doing and like all the creatives of like the my favorite games of theirs right now far cry and and assassin's creed they're losing you know 75 percent of the team that made those games and it's like jesus christ like you, you have an open wound and your artery is like they're calling it like a cut artery like that's what all the people who are leaving they're like the company's not even going to be the same like now yeah well i mean it, it sucks right because it feels like they're learning maybe the wrong lessons because i remember with immortals phoenix rising that game i think sold pretty badly and it yeah. was a shame because well it's so well, original from them right yeah it's like it's not a sequel it's like you know it, it does you know heavily sort of inspired and, and arguably copy from breath of the wild right but Absolutely. in terms of in terms of a ubisoft game it's so different to the other stuff that they do and so it's selling badly that they're obviously like well we can't do that again and it's sad because it's like that's that's what i would want from them because but yeah i mean 
I heard that Far Cry 6 didn't sell as well as Far Cry 5 seemed to be some things I was reading. So it's like they're probably looking at the conventional games and like, we can't do this. And, and that that's a mistake. Like they're going in the they're going in the wrong direction. I think I think I think they need to get more experimental projects out there. I guess Riders Republic was good to see in that sense, although it does have like the sort of online connectivity. You know, it's almost like chasing like the Forza Horizon type thing in a way. Like, so in itself, it's kind of a little depressing, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I loved Rayman Origins. I loved Rayman Legends. Uh, I loved the Prince of Persia games. I loved a few of the Assassin's Creed games. Splinter Cell was brilliant. I really liked their publishing efforts in terms of smaller games, sort of like their EA original style thing, you know, Child of Light, um, Valiant Hearts, uh, I Am Alive as well, I think it was from like Ubisoft Shanghai or something. I really liked that age of Ubisoft where they were making tons of interesting and different experiences, you know, smaller games, bigger games, like everything you could get in terms of that. And they seem to be very risk averse now. And whenever they put something out that's a bit different, it doesn't seem to work. Maybe, I I think part of it seems to be they're not like, I don't think they're going far enough. Like, I think for example, like, you know, it's like, it's like Immortals Phoenix Rising, right? People like that game and it's interesting and different and surprising, but the name kind of sucks. And then also it sort of looks a bit too generic in terms of it looks too similar to Breath of the Wild. And then like Riders Republic, right? Like it, it's a cool idea for a game and it, it seems pretty sick. But like if you're going to release it in the same year as Forza Horizon 5, it's like people are going to probably go with, you know, the the sort of the open world racing style game that that is already that's already established and already there, you know, and they've got that problem. They're going to have that problem again with um, Skull and Bones, right? Like they're making a pirate ship uh, game that's in development hell and they're in real trouble because Sea of Thieves, as it's sold like 5 million copies on Steam and it's like had over like 30 million players. Like people already have a game like that to some extent where it's like they need to they need to basically they they can't chase trends right like they can't be late to the party and it feels like they're even when they're sort of trying to branch out like with Immortals Phoenix Rising and Riders Republic and and Skull and Bones it feels like they're just slightly too late to the party where it's like something has already come in and taken that spotlight away from them where it's like I don't know if they're chasing the trend or if they're just getting unlucky with the timing but it's like then the games sort of don't do very well commercially and then it feels like they're going to uh like that they're they're so worried about the monetization that now they're going into like nfts and like like they're they're totally fucking it up basically in terms of they're like learning the wrong lessons from it and they're going back into like even more reductive safety in terms of what they're planning for assassin's creed and far cry and all this stuff and yeah it, it sucks it sucks to see it. it does it does suck to see it but it's like it's gonna free up so much game time Cause I'm not going to play these games, dude. I like, I've already decided like Assassin's Creed infinite where I'm going to have to pay for expansions and like this constant games as a service bullshit. It's like, no, I want a beginning and an end with a story. And then you make your next project. I don't want this. I don't want this continuous bullshit. Like that is not what I do with games. I don't like that. It, it just, it bothers the shit out of me. And that's what the, like, all their games are going to start doing. Yeah. I'm, well, like, I mean, so, I'm so out. I'm like, so out on them. It's scary for me looking at them as well, because they don't have, a great history with multiplayer games except for like a multiplayer or live service type game except for rainbow six siege right like it so it worries me because it's like you know destiny 2 right it's like a live service game 
And then 343 has some talent from, you know, Bungie and they make Halo Infinite and that's also sort of going to keep getting updates and multiplayer stuff and expansions right. and things like that. And it makes sense for them because they've got that like heritage. They've had like Halo has had Master Chief Collection that keeps getting updates every month and yep. they've retained players and, you know, Sea of Thieves has retained players and they know what they're doing and, you know, Fortnite knows what they're doing. And like a lot of these companies that do it, they've sort of become established and, and know what they're doing. Whereas Ubisoft, I, you know, they make traditional games mostly where you play them, you finish them, and then you don't play them again. And then that's it. And then you're done, you're off. So they're going to like, there's like a really big risk that they come out with Assassin's Creed Infinite and then the typical Assassin's Creed audience buys it and they play like whatever story content is and then they're like okay I'm done that's it and then like if your player base is like gone down to like barely anyone playing it like and their plan is to keep getting people back like I, I don't know if it's gonna work is is the problem I guess like it's just not they, they don't have that they don't have that heritage but I mean you know maybe they can get because Rainbow Six Siege is very successful at, at doing that so you know, maybe they see that and see the encouragement, but it's it's really tough to make that kind of thing happen. I think. Like, do you think the new Rainbow Six will be successful? Extraction. Extraction. I don't think. I don't think it will um, overtake Siege. I don't know. People don't, don't, don't seem either. that hyped about it. It. It's. Yeah. I. I think they've got a lot of problems in terms of. They really do. I think. I think they'll be fine, but I think. Um, I think their decisions are going in like the wrong direction, and I think. It's so competitive for people's time now. I mean, you know, I don't want to talk too much about Halo uh, today, but like, you know, with, with Halo Infinite, like they had to make the multiplayer free to play. They had to say like, you know, not not just on Game Pass, but it's free everywhere because it's just that. Com- if you if you released it full price, it would be dead. Or well, not dead. It would it would be fine on Xbox, but dead on like Steam probably, and really struggle because there's just so many games that are free. You know, Rocket League, Fortnite, like every you know, Call of Duty, Warzone. You know, like when when a uh, Battlefield announced they were selling their game for seventy dollars, it was like you guys are fucking crazy. Like 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 it, you know, and that and that's even if the game was good. You know, because people have a lot of problems with that game, obviously, but like. Like, even if the game was good, like, $70 is a really hard sell for a multiplayer-only game now. That it's like, you kind of have to go in free, or you have to go in discounted, or your game is going to really struggle. And I think you're going to see, like, with Battlefield, you're going to see the the price drop pretty fast. They said that, they said that, though. Like, there was, it was a couple months ago, but they, you know, they came out and they were like, yeah, we're going to start making more free-to-play games. And it's like, then they announced that service model, but there was like that backlash to the free to play. And they're like, Hey, we're not done making the other games. We're just going to make, we're going to make more free to play games. Like it's just an expansion and of, of our business. And yeah, I just like immediately thought, and I was like, I'm not playing any of the free to play games. I don't like that model. I don't care. And I wonder how many other people are going to care about their free to play games because the business model does make money. That does make money when a game is free and you get players to play it and then they buy microtransactions. That is constant revenue as yeah, you absolutely. update the seasons and stuff. And it's like that's what they want. And then they'll reinvest that money either into the game that they're making and into their other projects. But it's like it's so dirty. And I just don't I don't know what their direction is with this company. And I just I'm pretty much hard out on Ubisoft like anything. Yeah, the, for, the problem. Like, Cry, go ahead. The problem is like that's what I mean. Like they've got to be like all in on making it free. And then the problem is, is like, 
like I said, like what if you get like the Assassin's Creed audience and they don't have to pay to play the game this time and they just play all the story stuff and then they just leave and they don't come back. And this time they've not paid $60 for the game. They've just gone in, played it all for free and then left and then didn't come back. Like it's a scary, like it is a very, very, very profitable business model, but it's scary in terms of like if you're putting the game out for free, like people have to keep coming back to it because if they're not coming back to it, you've got like a real problem because you've just given like, you've just made like a $200 million game that you've just given away for free. And then people have just like played everything for free. And then they're just like, okay, I'm out. Thanks for that. Like that was, that was a good time. And then it's like, and then you've just got nothing, right? If, if that happens for everyone, but I think, I think they'll be okay. I mean, like, like you say, like the microtransactions are ridiculous. You know, I was looking at, uh, Halo had these like cat ear helmet things and they were like $10 and basically every, I didn't buy them. I bought the battle pass uh, a while ago, but I didn't buy them in the shop, but like every couple of lobbies, I would see so many people with those ears and with this like Iron Man style armor. And I was just like thinking like the amount of money they must make just from the refresh of the shop. Yeah. It has to be insane. Like you could, you could like, it's what, like $10 and like a hundred thousand people buy that. And then you've, you've made like, you've made like a million dollars, like already just like that. Like you've just, you've, so much. you've just done it. And it's, it's ridiculous that like, I can see why developers want to do it and publishers want to do it, but it, it is risky because if your game is dead on arrival or if your game falls off, like you've you've got a huge problem but i'm sure for you know for tons of games it's it's amazing and i think yeah i think i think that that transition will be interesting to watch because they have to have they surely have to have a plan for it for keeping people on board i mean i liked the um do you remember back with assassin's creed i think it was revelations or brotherhood where they had that like multiplayer mode uh yes i thought it was pretty good so i don't know maybe if they have stuff like that it could work but i don't know i assume they want to do like a like a big like a big map where events happen and stuff like that kind of like destiny i guess i assume that's what they'll do they'll probably do like this big open world map with sort of players in the world all trying to do different quests and stuff and but i i don't know i mean yeah i I don't i don't want to be too harsh on ubisoft because they have they have an audience for that stuff but they've moved away from from the stuff that i like over time very sort of steadily that's exactly where i'm like approaching and i'm actually really curious and the reason like i brought this up is just because i i don't know if i've said it here on this show or to my friends but i have this idea and it's kind of where like i'm seeing this trend where like i'm for me in the in the industry i'm approaching like a dark generation a dark period where like ubisoft if they if if this stuff fails and they have to revert back to like making the single player making like abandoning the games as a service stuff if if this doesn't work out then we won't have another good Ubisoft game for several years. Just like you were talking about with Bethesda, where, you know, they're going to come out with, what's that star game called? Starfield. Starfield. Um, They're going to come out with that. And then it will be five to six years before we get the next Elder Scrolls game. And it's like, think about these Ubisoft games. If these next two years, three years don't work out, and then they change their business model again, it's going to be like six years before we ever get the return to, you know, Prince of Persia classic and like good Ubisoft games. Like, well, decent, you know, they've never been like great games. They're just there. And I've always enjoyed that because of the trophy hunt. It's like, it's an easy, relaxing time. And I love to like sit back and relax and enjoy those games. And I'm going to play Far Cry 6. But even Far Cry 6 is like, 
constantly getting updates. I wait for Ubisoft sales so I can get the gold edition because I know there's going to be extra shit that I don't want to pay for. So I just wait for the sale of the gold edition to be like below where I want it to be. And then I'm like, now I get everything the game has that's done. And I also, another thing with Ubisoft is they release, release buggy games. So it's like, you know, there's no rush. It's like, what is going on over there? There's so much bad shit. And I, like, I, I don't just, I don't feel positive about the company going forward. I, I I know that I'm being harsh on them, but it's like, I, I was a defender of them a couple years ago. There's like a, my very first podcast I ever did. I like stood up. I was like, thank you for listening. Ubisoft. Like finally you took a break from Assassin's Creed and made it better in my opinion. And it's like, they, they listened and now they're going the complete opposite fucking direction. They're like, they turned around and they're like, well, we're not going to listen anymore. It's just going to be the bullshit trend of the market and that's what we're gonna yeah. do it's it's just scary for for them because it's like like i i don't i think i'm more okay, because i'm more into multiplayer stuff than you i think i'm more okay with like live service stuff than you are in terms mm-hmm. of uh games but it's like it is like a totally different world in terms of like your gameplay loop has to be very polished very good when you launch the game otherwise you're fucked and if you don't have like a content roadmap as well, if you don't have like updates coming out on time and and in like a, a fleshed out way that's really desirable for the player base, like you are in real, real trouble at that point. Like you have to have this stuff nailed down and Ubisoft, I think they make they make OK games, but I don't think I don't think the gameplay in their games at least a lot of their recent games, I don't know if it's good enough to keep people coming back in that sense to like the same game. I feel like they're going to want, people are going to want a new game because one of the things that I think Ubisoft does really well, and maybe this will, I mean, this should help them in theory is that they're quite efficient in terms of releasing new projects or new entries into series um and i think they can feel a bit samey a lot of the time but i don't know i don't know if people will be receptive to it i mean yeah it just feels like they they have to have something really good and they have to they have to have like a a pretty good plan for things because you look at the games that like there's games that succeeded in terms of live service and then there's games that failed and like one that failed obviously was anthem and then another one that failed was Square Enix's, you know, Marvel Avengers. And the problem for both of those games, I think, was that they launched and they were like, people were like, eh, these are okay. Like they play okay, but they're not amazing to play. They're not they're not addictive, right? Like like this is something about again, like Halo and Destiny, is that those games feel so fun to move around in and to shoot different guns and to aim and, and to do all the mechanics. Like the mechanics feel fun and they, they, the game feel is like so good that they become like addictive because you're like, I don't want to run around in a different game because running around in a different game feels sluggish and, you know, stupid and all that. So I want to go back to these games because it, it feels good. It feels so good to just fundamentally play it. And you need something like that. Like you need a gameplay hook and you need a progression hook and you need all these different things. And I don't know if Ubisoft games do that because to, to that extent that a lot of successful live service games do like they, they're going to have to make I mean, they tried with hyperscape, right. In terms of a battle Royale and that game did seem to feel pretty good from most people's accounts. And they got a lot of influencers to play it. And, but that game, that game dropped dead like immediately. That game came out and it came out after Apex Legends. Again, it's like another thing where it's like with Phoenix Immortals Phoenix Rising and Skull and Bones and all this. It's like they're too they're too late again. Like, you know, Riders Republic 
it's like they released hyperscape and they did it after apex and it has like similar like movement in terms of like the movement mechanics like you can like jump over buildings and go on like launch pads and all this stuff and that seemed really cool but it's like we already have apex legends and no one is going to stay on this game because apex just feels better to play and hyperscape can feel great to play it can feel pretty good uh the weapons are okay the environments are all right but if apex feels amazing which it does then people are just gonna come back to that game so it's 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 so difficult for them i think in terms of it it's difficult for anyone and you know then you look at you know anthem where it's like there were so many issues with that game where they can't they can't fix them all fast enough and then make updates fast enough to get new players in the door and then marvel's avengers is sort of a similar thing where it's like they very early on they announced spider-man was coming to the game but it took like two years or or two to three years or something to, to to actually get or like one and one year and like eight months or something to get him in in the game and it's i don't know it's like it feels like you you have to have like a really good schedule and it, it feels like there's different challenges to that kind of game compared to a traditional style of game you know in a, in a sense it is like very risky for them but it's the thing Super where risky. it's like it's like they they are just banking on i think getting like one big success like if you just get one then you're you're good because the microtransactions and the way like all the money scales it scales so massively and gets yep. so out of control you know like if you read like ea's financials like fifa brings in like billions and billions and billions and then apex now brings in like billions each quarter as well or like each 6 months or whatever like just an absolutely crazy amount of money that you can't hope for even if you release like a even if you release a $60 game and it sells like 10 million copies it's nowhere near the amount of money that fifa and apex generate for ea for example so it's like if you get one that hits like you're really loving life at that point but and and they're definitely banking on that but it's like but it it seems like as well with live service games so many of them it's like it feels like they either hit or they die like in like a fireball death, like like just a terrible, terrible death, or they become like the peak of gaming. Like it feels like it's one or the other. It it's almost never there's there's almost never a middle ground for it that's comfortable. Or at least you can you can have a middle ground and then eventually sort of set things right and then build up momentum. But it, it feels so momentum based because it's like it's so um it's so determined by like social dynamics in terms of like like you again it's like this is for multiplayer games as well it's like to get people onto the game you need like you need someone to play it and then you need that person to like it enough that they tell their friends like hey you've got to play this thing you've got to come on this thing with me and then they tell their friends like you got to come on this thing and so it snowballs out of control but if like that initial player plays it and they're like eh it's all right but i prefer apex you know and then it's like well you're you're screwed at that point, right? Because then you'd never get that snowball effect happening. You know, it's like uh, like in the Discord, right? With Halo Infinite, it's like tons of people are playing it and people are playing it with each other and then that's getting like more people to play it and then uh, and it sort of has like this almost like ricochet effect where it's like that becomes like the social game for a while. You know, I, I saw people do it with like Mario Golf to some extent in like in, in places and, you know, Mario Kart and all that stuff and it's like you... There's like a game of a moment and to capture that it's so difficult to do and you need like a low entry point and you need it to work really well and you need people to be super into it and you know i I think that i think that they can definitely do it but it's 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 a scary time for them it definitely will be fun to watch that's for sure we'll see how it goes but uh (laughs) i can't believe that we 
devolved so rapidly. I guess we'll get into what we're chasing and I'm going to go right through it real fast. Like I downloaded, I bought this DLC for this game called Maneater a long time ago. You play as a shark and you just go around, you eat fish and you you like fight bigger creatures like whales and and other sharks and stuff and you kind of like level up and just kind of do that it's very arcadey it's not really anything you go and do missions where you eat people or you do with game like challenges you to do but when this dlc launched because i got the game free on ps plus and when the dlc launched it was bugged and the trophies were like just not they you like could not pop them at all so you had to restart the entire game and then go through it again so i just didn't touch it and i heard that they got fixed like two months ago so i was like i have the dlc and i have the game i will download it and just finish that off so i i polished off that completion 100 there's no platinum or anything but i did that and then i played psychonauts 2 and it's more psychonauts 1 but current gen and i loved it i mean you have to know what you're getting into it's a it's a playstation 2 game with like cartoony cutscenes, and I mean, it's really a special game, especially to me, just because it doesn't have that realistic art style. It doesn't have the cell shading art style. It doesn't have the Fortnite art style. It's its own art style, and it is so unique and like really tries to be one of the. It is one of the most creative ga- games like I've played this year for sure. And uh, what's up, AJ? Yeah, I wanted to say um, I haven't played enough of Psychonauts Two. I enjoyed. Uh, the sort of two or so hours that I played, but I I liked I really love the opening level. I think it's great. But then um, as well, I've heard people talking about the game and that one of the reasons it's sort of special to them is that it feels like a game from Tim Schafer, as in from him, like in terms of his his ideas and his personality and his charm, and it feels like a unique game in that sense, or like a, a game that's that's from like an auto auto type creative individual, you know, like, um, you know, like, like, you know, Ken Levine or, you know, Hideo Kojima or Neil Druckmann or whatever. Like, it feels like it's got like an identity to it that you can like trace back to Tim Schafer's mind. And I think double fine do that really well with, with the creativity in their games and having sort of an identity to them and, yeah, so that that compels me about the game. It makes me want to play more of it, definitely, because I always think that's like that's really cool when you have a game that it feels more like even if you hate the game, like you know, like a lot of people really didn't like um Death Stranding, for example, right? Like that was a polarizing game right. to people. Um and you know, there's plenty of people that don't love Psychonauts 2 as well, right? But it's like I'd rather have like even if I hated Death Stranding, I, I don't have an opinion on Death Stranding, but I'd rather have that than like a generic game that has no identity and no voice from its creator, if that makes sense. Like it's absolutely it's really cool to have a game that has an imprint on it, like a, a voice on it that that is that makes it feel like, you know, a good piece of fiction or, you know, a really great movie from like a, a famous director or something that just feels It makes it feel more special, I think. It's absolutely so special, dude. And like, I just can't get over how creative this project is. And like, I'd be okay if we don't get another Psychonauts for, you know, another 15 years, like we kind of went through with this one, because it's just so like Tim Schafer. And I think as he grows, he will like put another imprint on the game if he does another one. But like, I just can't get over how I mentioned the art style, but then there's like, collectibles in the games and enemies in the games and the way they're named and like everything about it because it's psychonauts it takes place in the mind so you have mental health when you're inside of like other people's minds and then there's like enemies that are attacking you and they're 
their sensors and their panic attacks and their and their bad thoughts and like all of these emotions that you're fighting because it's like these exist inside somebody else's head and it's just there's figments of imagination to collect there's emotional baggage to collect it's just like the way that the game plays with terminology and then telling a story it's so well done and like a lot of the actors in it dude so surprised so surprised because like elise willems was in it as a cameo you know jack black is in it he has a song in it and like he's a character i just i could not believe the like as i played the game more and more i was just like i cannot believe this like so many cool things are happening in this game and i get if you don't like it it's a very much a -a collect-a-thon game dude it's a platforming collect-a-thon game. You go around and you try to complete like 100% the levels. And if you don't like doing that, then you're probably not going to like Psychonauts too. But it just does such a fantastic job of like just ex- yeah, like it's- explosive creativity. That's really the only way that I can describe it. Yeah, it sounds like in terms of gameplay, it is like a, almost like a classic PS2 game or like an yes. N64 game. You know, like it, it's like harkens back to that like banjo-kazooie or like the first jack and daxter game even where you'd like you know explore and just like collect stuff in terms of the gameplay but i like that i I think i I really liked crash bandicoot 4 when it came out because it it feels like you know and I, i liked playing the spyro remasters as well because there's you know you go through cycles with games where it's like there's like one type of game that sort of comes out a bunch in like each generation and then you sort of don't really see it again. And then it's been long enough where for me, like collectathon style platformers, it's been long enough where like y- you get, you get sad to see it go. Like they used to be around all the time, you know, with like Super Mario 64 and Banjo Kazooie and all of that stuff. And like, you have like, even like, you know, like with Jack and Daxter, you have like just like crazy mascot platformers, you know, like Gex and like Ty, the Tasmanian tiger and all this stuff. And there were so many and now you get like none that when like something like super mario odyssey comes out people lose their minds because it's like even though this was so much more common it's like it's it feels like a breath of fresh air again i know people were saying sort of similar things as well about kana right bridge of spirits in terms of that that felt like it was like a a game from a different era absolutely that, that can feel like in a good way that feels sort of nostalgic because it's been long enough since you've had that sort of game that it, it feels it feels just like welcoming and just yeah it's such a it's such a great experience i definitely I, I definitely like when developers do that as well in terms of going going back to that sort of stuff even though like obviously you know there will be tons of people that are like you know games aren't like this anymore they're different they've evolved past it and there's you know there's arguments to be made there for sure in terms of just like more linear platforming experiences I think I think generally I probably prefer the linear platforming experiences to the collectathon style more open ones. But again, it's like it would never like push me away from from that kind of game. I think. Yeah it it was such a fun journey. Like I, I finished it and I did platinum it, and it wasn't hard. There's only like two missable trophies, and I got them both naturally. And I kind of wish I, always look up a guide. Don't make the mistake of not looking up a guide before you go in because. I didn't know that there was two missable trophies. I just kind of thought it would be like Psychonauts 1 where you just need to kind of collect everything and then that's it. Like, because it's such a DNA part of the game is like to 100% it or even over 100% it, you know, get to rank 102 and then only the only way to do that is to do all the quests, collect all the figments, collect all the emotional baggage, you know, do everything, like do everything the game has. And so I was like, yeah, that's just, that's the platinum. Like that is it. That's the DNA of the game. And it's not, it, you do, you, there's just like, 
characters you have to talk to and they might not be in the location anymore when the game moves on and it's just like oh gotta watch out for that because you know we were talking about witcher earlier and witcher definitely has uh missable trophies which sucks because it's an open world game and it's a long one so you don't want to miss anything that that is extremely frustrating i had that happen to me the first time with witcher and i just was like i'll just wait until i'm feeling it again and then i will platinum hunt it later and that's what i did so i finished off fez on vita i played god of war on vita and that was stressful specifically because it's the trophies are very glitchy on god of war on vita and i was like stressed the whole time because at first none of the trophies popped like it just wasn't registering at all and i looked it up and people were like yeah so you need to turn off the wi-fi you need to make sure that you don't sync the trophies you never leave the god of war game on vita because it has like a home screen you can like swipe around they're like don't press the playstation button and i'm like damn this is like crazy they're like basically do the whole platinum in one go and don't don't like you can put the vita into rest mode and i'm like god damn this is stressful and i still feel that with god of war 2 on vita and i'm gonna platinum that but i've been playing these vita games more because i want something where i can listen to audiobooks and trophy hunt because i like to do that right now i'm just really into finishing the witcher books and it's been kind of where i've been going i actually was going to ask you if you had any recommendations for like games that you can hunt that you don't need sound like you you don't need you don't need audio because i would love to grind and i think when i start doing grinding on tales of arise because i i know it's like a 70 hour platinum and people are saying like there's grinding and you could have bought I could have bought the ultimate edition, which reduces the grinding because you get experience boosts. And I'm like, if I have to grind, perfect time to listen to audiobooks. So that's really all I played. I mean, I mean, I've I've been going hard on on Witcher and and books, and that's it. Yeah, I'd say in terms of podcast games, I'd have to like an audiobook games. I'd have to think about it more. But one of my games felt kind of like that, and that it was simplistic. In fact, maybe maybe a couple of my games. But I'd say for me. Although this might not be that useful a recommendation. I'd say Far Cry 6, you know, and you know Ubisoft games, right? So a lot of like when you're doing like side stuff, like liberating places, like obviously you can you can listen to whatever when you're doing that. Yeah. For me, I don't like the characters in Far Cry 6 so far, except for like a couple of the main ones. A lot of the side characters I'm not like a big fan of. I think the writing's kind of rough and awkward. I think... um. I think Ubisoft doesn't do a good job with comedy generally, but yeah, so I'm not the biggest fan. You know, I think Giancarlo Esposito is, is fantastic. So, you know, with the stuff that's going on with him, I I tend to pay more attention as I play, but I'd say that is a pretty good podcast game uh, or like audiobook game, because for me, I mostly don't care about a, a lot of what's going on with characters and the story. But also, you know, if you do really care about the characters and the story, there's still a lot of side activities to do where you can, you know, put a podcast on also or an audiobook on. Also, um, I guess I'd recommend Yakuza 0 as well, because there's so oh. much side stuff in those games where you, you know, you will just be, especially if you're going for achievements, but even without it, you'll be playing like Mahjong and using like claw games and stuff like that. And That's brilliant. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of side stuff, but there's also a bunch of story stuff as well. That game is super heavy on the story. Like you will be feeling like you're spending like two hours doing like linear stuff, listening to cutscenes, and then have some freedom, and then have more linear stuff. So it's um it's a good mix in terms that of that. The best recommendation you could have given me, honestly. Like I I said that 2022 was like my gears year, and it's going to be my Yakuza year, where these are backlog games that I got to play. 
and I'm going to do that. And I think that it's a great time to get into Yakuza and like really indulge myself in those stories. But then if I want to grind out some trophies or achievements, like that is the way to go. Cause those games are long, long. Yeah. Even, even without going for all the trophies, they're super long. Yeah. Um, Yeah. In terms of games I've been playing, I played uh, doom eternal again. I finished the horde mode. Finally, not much to say about that. It was fun. It's a cool free update. I mean, it's crazy. The amount of doom eternal has had so many free updates at this point. Like they've updated the multiplayer mode a lot and I don't think the multiplayer mode is very good. So I don't really care about that, but they did the, uh, they did the Series X and PS5 patch for it where they added ray tracing and 120 FPS. And that's always awesome to see. And then after that, they've done like another free update with extra achievements and trophies, which is this horde mode thing. And it's pretty good. I It has like different environments from the game that you go in. But then also between like the levels in terms of the wave, there's like optional challenges sprinkled in. And then there's like these like platforming challenges and stuff to do with like killing specific enemies and things like that and prioritizing them and doing them in time limits. So they keep things varied and then you get a score as well. And the horde mode is sort of what I like about the horde mode as well is that they, uh, you just sort of, it's linear. Like you just go through like three waves per level and then you do three levels and then you're just done. Like there's no, it's not like one of those like infinite horde mode type things that you get in like Gears of War and, and Call of Duty Zombies. Although I like both of those as well, but sometimes you just like, you know, like I respect the fact that they know that like Doom Eternal Horde mode maybe isn't going to be something that you come back to do like every week or whatever. So they just make it like this linear thing that you can just get through in a couple of hours and then you can chase high scores if you want and go back to it, or you can just move on and go, okay, I'm done. And I like that because, you know, there's only so much time, right? And so so that was that was a fun time. Then as well, I've been playing a lot of Halo Infinite. I don't know how much time played I have now. I think I've played for over four days at this point. So I must I must be over a hundred hours, I think, or, or around there. So I've been playing some on my own. I've been playing some ranked. I've got up through Diamond. I'm in diamond three right now i'm almost at onyx i could probably get there but it's tough it's getting really tough in terms of the people i'm playing against but onyx is the highest rank in in the ranking system in the game and then when you get to onyx it sort of puts a number on you in terms of like where you are in the world directly which is quite cool like it says like you are this place in the world like in terms of how good you are at the game so that's always cool uh i haven't played much big team battle there's been problems with big team battle and i don't like it as much as the 4v4 arena modes they added a bunch of new playlists uh slayer uh swat which swat sucks but you know whatever fiesta slayer and uh, a couple of others and oh yeah there's free for all as well which is nice i've been enjoying it doing the challenges i also played some with edwin and herb you know we've got a discord set up and it seems pretty lively in terms of people that are hanging out and playing halo and it's just uh it's just a great time still uh i didn't do i i already finished everything with the campaign i think the last time we spoke so i haven't played any of that but but yeah just playing more halo i uh i fell off the halo i wanted i want to play more uh i need to get back to it but i think that i I told one of my friends this but i think that i did halo a little bit of a disservice because i went with a first person shooter like back to back I went from a game that's fast and fluent with Deathloop that has a lot of powers and abilities over to Halo. And it's more like it's different, like big time, much slower. And unless you're talking about the grappling hook, 
but I was like, I need some distance. So that's why I took a break from Halo. I'm going to get back to it and I am going to beat it probably within the next two weeks. I want, I was actually planning to play it today and then try to finish it off, but not, I'm not rushing. I don't want to rush Halo. I, I've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying collecting things and like looking for audio logs and stuff. So I don't want to, don't want to rush through it. So people are like, it's eight hours. You could just get it done and be done and then move on to your next game. But I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Like that's not, it took I me, mean, it took me 17 hours. But yeah. That was and to I, get a hundred percent on legendary as well. Right. And I'm on heroic and I don't think that I'll get a hundred percent, but I definitely want to get like 80, 85%. You know, I, I really like collecting everything in the areas. I might do a hundred percent dude. It, there's just something in me that likes to do that. And this is a very, open world collectathon type of game where you can see on the map what you're missing and it's like oh i want to go do that and so i will probably do that but yeah i've i've just been breaking from it and and like i told you i'm in that fantasy mood so i can't decide if i want to start tales of arise or jump back to halo and that's like that's what i'm thinking about doing next but i i did want to mention one thing before i let you finish with your games is like i was playing god of war on vita and dude oh there's one trophy on there that got me so mad and i wanted to tell you about this because i was just like damn dude like these struggles but you know when a trophy doesn't fucking require skill it requires luck i looked up so many guides i looked up so many like how people are doing this like techniques and there's like this challenge of the gods mode with the first god of war and they want you to beat it and there's people who are like challenge number eight is the worst and I did it twice. I actually turned the Vita off and restarted because it it was like malfunctioning, like my buttons weren't working. And I was like, I can't believe I have to do all 10 challenges again. And the challenges are just, some of them are challenging and then some of them are just bullshit. Like you have to beat several waves of enemies without getting touched, without getting touched. But there's like ways to cheese it. And there's people that were like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I'm like, I breezed through that twice. It's the very last challenge, challenge number 10. And you're on this little tiny platform you jump onto it, it spawns three enemies with that are little like puppy dogs and they explode. And then there's two other enemies that are like, I don't even know what to call them, but they they have like spears. And th- the dudes with the spears don't get knocked over easily. So you have to use like two different techniques to knock them off the platform. And the more that you kill the enemies on the platform, the, the higher the platform rises. And then when you get it to the top, you have to jump to another platform and that's the end of the challenge. And it's so small and these explosive enemies and this spear enemies are just jabbing me right off the side it doesn't feel like skill it just feels like you have to get lucky to knock all of them off the platform have a second to breathe and knock them all off the platform again and like do that over and over and over without getting just yeeted off the side and as soon as you get like outside the boundary it's like failed you're done and it's just it was so frustrating dude i did it for like four hours four hours and i was i was like when what is the limit what is, is this, the limit before i quit this this is uh the original god of war right this like, is the original god yeah. of war number one it's uh it's a thing as well where like i think games generally are a lot easier now than they used to be there's exceptions of course like you can right. you can definitely find super super hard games like that come out now but i think in terms of like mainstream games like in that era I mean, even before that, like before that, it's like even worse, like, you know, like NES and all that stuff, like some yeah. of that stuff is, is horrifically difficult, but like, even like, you know, like God of War and like Crash Bandicoot one, it's like some of the stuff in those games are like fucking Jesus that they're, they're so difficult, like for like a mainstream triple A like video. It's crazy. It, it was so hard, dude. I was like, 
I was like, I, I should give up, but I'm like listening to an audiobook and then I'm raging and I'm just like, Oh, at least I'm having something to play during this time. But it just, it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm not bad. I'm not bad at this game. I am very good at this game. And this is infuriating. (laughs) This is so, so frustrating, but I ended up getting it and I got the platinum later, but it had a speed run after and the speed run was so much easier because if you beat the God of War challenge, you get a bunch of like suits that you can put on Kratos. And one of the suits, he's dressed in like a cow suit, but you get, it's called like the dairy, dairy suit, but it gives you unlimited magic. So I could just spawn the magic over and over and like destroy enemies. Like the bosses, I was invulnerable. I just stood there and just spammed magic and they didn't touch me. And I was like, this is how you speed run. Like this is exactly how you speed run. You just glitch out the game. Go stand next to the boss and spam. And so it was an easy speed run. I did follow like it's it's weird because I I didn't want to take too long on puzzles. So I had like a video and then I would like skip through and I'd be like, this is the next puzzle. Just look how he does it. Boom. Like tap, 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 like skip through the video just to make sure I don't fuck shit up. And then I had like a, a list of like times I should meet. And if I wasn't meeting it, I didn't restart any checkpoints. I just was like, ah, I think I'll make it. it there's quite a big a wiggle room but i just want to talk about that hunt because it was so fucking frustrating i can't believe how long i spent doing those challenges such bullshit yeah you reminded me that i hate action games that have puzzles in them as well because it's like it it fucks up the flow of the game so badly like it annoys me um resident evil 4 has it has two puzzles it has like one outside this church that isn't too bad then there's one inside the church that also isn't bad at all that one's actually really easy where you have to like line up all the colors and stuff of these lights and then there's a puzzle in resident evil 4 that's one of those like sliding tile block puzzles and fuck that puzzle it's like it sucks and it's awful (laughs) and you can end up like it's one of those where like if you i don't think there's a way you can reset it so basically you either go in with a guide and you like just do like the five step like the five the like the shortest possible solution right like the computer generated solution or or whatever like the ideal perfect thing and do it quickly or you start like fucking around with it and then at that point you're just like on your own like there's no way like any guide will help you at that point and then you're just like okay so i guess this is the next 20 minutes of my life because you know i'm an idiot and, and bad at you know visual visual puzzles like this and it's like what does this have to do with the rest of the game you know like at least with the with the remakes of resident evil games the puzzles are really easy they're like you just need to get this like one object and and put it in this one thing at this other area of the map and that's like it that's like the whole puzzle in like every other resident evil like in terms of re2 remake re3 remake re7 re8 it's just like the puzzles are basically just like Oh, you have to turn this thing a couple of times, or you have to, you know, get this object from this one place and bring it to this other place. So those those are fine. But Resident Evil Four, yeah, it. I love that game, but that annoys me so much. And then, um, in terms of what else I've been playing, I played uh, the Artful Escape, which I think that you'd like this game uh, because it's very story heavy. It's on and, my list. Uh, visual. It looks great on the OLED. It looks uh, the colors really pop. It's not got HDR, I don't think, which is a shame, but. It does look uh, really good. It's sort of this... I mean, in a way, it's kind of like a fantasy, right? Like, it's kind of like sci-fi fantasy rock uh, type stuff. But it's... The the gameplay, I didn't like it that much. I think it's okay. I think it, it's short enough where it's... Fu- it's like two, three hours long. Maybe four hours, if you really take your time. But you're just basically someone... Like, the context is that you're 
this musician that his dad is like a famous folk singer or like folk guitarist and you don't want to be in his shadow and you want to sort of make music and your passion and your talent is in like rock music essentially so you sort of go on this like intergalactic journey and play like crazy concerts and like you know it's like a journey of like self-discovery and um you know improving yourself and, and that sort of thing and it gets kind of crazy and it goes crazier and crazier as it goes on and it's it's quite good it's quite charming uh the music is cool the set pieces are cool uh the gameplay is basically you just run to the right and you jump sometimes and then you also get these like guitar hero well that's too generous like these like simon says style like bop it style music encounters where like you'll fight like a boss and the boss will like they'll hit the y button and then you hit the y button and then they hit you know whatever and you hit whatever and you just do that and play music but it's good it's got easy achievements uh i'd probably i don't know i'd give it like a a 6 out of 10 maybe like a 5.5 or something like it's fine but it doesn't have enough gameplay for me i think uh, I wish, like, if they added a couple more mechanics to the platforming or to the music, it could have been, like, it could have, like, shot really far up for me. But there's too much, like, just holding right and jumping and looking at the background that it's kind of, it kind of dulls the impact of the game, I think. Uh, but it's still, like, a, a pretty easy recommend, especially that it's on Game Pass and you can just, you know, the voice acting's great. Visually, it looks interesting. It's not very long, so... It's a pretty easy recommendation, despite all of that. Um, then I also played the game Archvale, which is another game on Game Pass, another indie game. It's okay, I'd say it's maybe a bit forgettable. I'd say I liked it more than The Artful Escape. Probably give this one a 6 or a 6.5. It's It reminds me, the combat system reminds me of Enter the Gungeon, which is my favourite roguelike or roguelite ever. And it's sort of got similar combat, but not quite as good in terms of movement. It's a role-playing game where it's kind of got like a, a sort sort of like a pixel art aesthetic, like a really basic like retro style aesthetic. And then you are like getting equipment and fighting monsters and you can make like armor and weapons and you go to like shops and you go fight bosses and you unlock different trinkets that sort of modify how you play and you can choose to go into like a ranged like arrow build or like a melee build or a sorcery style build. And again, it's sort of like a quick six hour game, easy completion. The game actually gets quite difficult at times if you're going for a hundred percent. The final boss is actually really quite tough. Uh, I found at least. And yeah, you know, you get like, you know, it's kind of like got a lot of like the Zelda stuff in terms of you get like bombs and then you get bomb upgrades and you get heart containers and you get healing flasks and that sort of thing. And yeah, it's just a really simple, uh, satisfying game to play. It's not got like an amazing story. The music's pretty good. I'd say that was a, a, a nice surprise. And it's a pretty good time. It's like a pretty chilled, relaxing time, but has more intensity in gameplay than something like The Artful Escape. And also more than my next game, which is uh, The Gunk. So I played The Gunk. Again, it's like another, it's like another five hour long game. I played it in one sitting got all the achievements on my first try without a guide which was pretty wow. pretty awesome uh the achievements are, there's definitely missables well maybe missables i don't know you can kind of return to everywhere after the game's over but the achievements are pretty easy uh it's a game from thunderful who made steam world dig and those like steamworks style games i've never played any of them but the critical consensus seems to be all of those games are better than this game 
and I didn't dislike this game. I, again, I'd probably give it. It's probably like another six out of ten or another five, five point five. So kind of, kind of boring in that sense. I mean, it's good. I think it looks visually interesting. It doesn't outstay its welcome. The story is pretty forgettable. Sadly, uh, the gameplay is very basic, but it's very sort of relaxing and it's quite like there's never an area that's unfair. There's never anything that's like difficult. It feels like you could have like a six year old play it and have like a really great time with it. It feels like, again, it almost feels like a game that reminds me of like my childhood in terms of sort of one of those games that you just sort of have a fun time with and then you just forget about it. And then that's that's it. Right. Like like you just play it for a few hours and it's a fun enough like inoffensive time where it's pretty chilled out the gameplay is pretty relaxing you're just cleaning up gunk for the most part well you're sort of like it's it's a balance between this combat that's really really basic and you have like a lot of health although you do have a decent amount of abilities you have like a gun you have like a vacuum you have like this um this distraction device as well and you can like throw enemies as well so there's there's decent variety in the combat and then there's also this exploration aspect where you're looking around for resources to craft upgrades and things like that. And then you're also cleaning up uh, this gunk to sort of make the areas full of life again. And the locations are fairly diverse and interesting. And yeah, it's uh, it's it's a pretty good time, but it's not like no one has to rush out and play it. It's kind of a bit underwhelming in that sense. I, I think I'm going to keep an eye on, on it for sales. This is so cool. Like I had no idea you played this game, but I had been asking some people in the Discord like, are you going to pick it up? Like, are, is anyone going to play this? Because this is something that I saw maybe at E3 or something. And I was like, that's interesting. And then I saw the reviews and I'm like, oh, yikes. And then it, it's like totally shocking that you just picked it up and played it. That's that's awesome. Do you know what the price was? It's on. It was on Game Pass day one. It was on Game Pass. OK, see, that is so intriguing. Yeah, because I mean, it just it is one of those games where it, I feel like the story is going to be in the background and the rest is just doing your one objective and that's cleaning up gunk that's like the whole thing yeah i mean i don't think there's much more than that i like it's like a a really simple story in terms of like there's like only three or four characters in the whole game which i quite like i I actually think that's like a really i think especially if you're making an indie game although just generally i really like character focused stories and stories where you just have like really simple elements going on like i think i think people look down on simple stories as though they're like not stories or like they're not ambitious enough or they're not you know you need like 500 different characters and they all need to look super different and they all need to have different motivations and all this kind of thing and it's like and sometimes that just gets like overwhelming and it gets in the way of the narrative and in the way of the pacing and and all, all of this stuff like it's a double-edged sword you know there's there's always a trade-off in terms of when you're creating a narrative with with what you add and what you take away and so i quite like the characters you know um there's there's also this robot that's cute because every game needs a cute robot you know he's got like a tie on him and you know the tie obviously doesn't fit because he's a robot and not a human (laughs) and he's very obviously not a robot as well well very obviously not a human as well like like yeah so there's 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 you know fairly cute stuff like that the 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 narrative itself isn't that good unfortunately like it it basically starts off a lot better than it than it goes on i'd say and it doesn't because it's quite um it's quite like slow in terms of how it unravels itself but it kind of isn't really going anywhere like it's a bit meandering and a lot of it seems to be about the exploration and about just sort of traveling through the world which i think is okay i think it's fine like there's that game Sable that seems to be 
sort of similar in that it seems to be about the exploration. It's also like another Game Pass game, but that game seems to be more interesting than the gunk because from what I've seen from reviews of the gunk, it feels like everyone kind of feels the same in the, or mostly the same in that like, there's nothing bad about the gunk really. Like it's not a bad game. It's fine, but it's like, it's just fine. Like it's just, you know, it's, it's a decent time. It's a good way to spend an afternoon. You're probably not going to think about it that much. You're not really going to remember it. You're just going to play it and then, you know, and that's it. And it's probably good for younger children, especially. Whereas with Sable, I've seen from the receptions of that game, it seems to be some people like fall in love with that game. And some people are like, this game sucks. So that, that game, I should probably check that out because it seems to be a similar sort of exploration type thing, but maybe there's more freedom and there's more things you can take from it personally whereas the gunk it just feels it still feels very constrained and linear and that that there's a story there but they just ran out of time or didn't tell it and it was kind of sad because i really like the final level of the gunk and it feels like that final mission is the only time where there's like an actual puzzle that makes you think and makes you really engage with the game, which was a little awkward because I, I played the game in one sitting and it was about 3 a.m. by the time I got to the end. So I was like, I was like, I just want to be done with it kind of now because I know I'm near the end. And and uh, I had a uh, I had a playthrough by uh, Ray Naves Jr., a streamer I watch, Achievement Hunter. And he played through the game like a couple of days before me. So I had that up like alongside my playthrough. So sort of synchronized playing and it was a really good a good time i you know i recommend doing that but yeah so i knew like i was really close to the end of the game uh because like the video obviously only had like 30 minutes left but the level was the most interesting level in the bunch and it's like it kind of feels like this should be like halfway through the game um and then it should sort of build upon that some more so it's a shame that it doesn't And, and a lot of the stuff like the upgrades like the game's too easy again it feels like it should be for younger children in terms of well it's weird because there's there's some swearing in the game so it's it's i guess not for younger children it's very odd <laughs> um because it's like with the abilities you unlock the combat is already really easy and then the abilities make the combat even easier but you're really never at risk of dying like the only time you die is if you basically fall off a platform you're you're not going to die from like taking damage to enemies or very rarely and the platforming isn't difficult and it's more like a puzzle platformer in terms of if you can't get somewhere it's probably not because like you lack precision in your jumping it's more because that's not the intended way you meant to get there you meant to like knock down something else or like make something else grow or like you know find a bomb to blow up something or whatever like there's usually some other aspect that you're missing and it's it's a good time it's interesting i kind of with like cleaning up the gunk, it's sort of like a slime rancher style vibe where you've got like this like vacuum weapon or like a Luigi's Mansion style uh, thing. But it's it's pretty good. But I I do kind of share the what seems to be the the consensus on the game where it's like it's unfortunate they didn't do more with it. And I don't. There was a whole thing about uh, it's always annoying with marketing, right? And every every company and every studio seems to do it. I I've, but there was like a whole hullabaloo about this game being i think i think i think this game's maybe xbox series exclusive i know the medium was as well and it's like 
there's always a whole thing of like, oh, well, we really needed the technology. And then it's like an indie game and it's like the, the, I still see like texture popping and stuff like that. And it's like, can you not, like, surely it does run on like a, a hard drive. You don't need an SSD if there's like a bunch of popping and all that stuff. And it, it looks visually really nice. But again, it's always annoying when there's like all this like marketing buzz and like over promising about games. And I, I really like when indie games are quieter in that they sort of surprise you. Uh, more and I was open to being surprised but I just sort of felt I just sort of felt whelmed by it I guess like not underwhelmed not overwhelmed just yeah this is fine then I started playing another game on Game Pass which is Ring of Pain this is a roguelite kind of similar to Slay the Spire it's like you essentially instead of you being the one like building a deck you build up equipment on your character and that modifies how you interact with cards on this ring that you can move left and right around. And some of the cards will be like monsters, and some of them will be like potions and explosive objects and things like that. And you have to make decisions and try to get through the combat scenarios and get to the next floor and so on. So it's sort of typical roguelite, but it's really well balanced and there's tons of different build variety, tons of tons of build variety in the game in terms of the way you can build your character. Like you can go like there's different stats like attack, health, defense speed and clarity and then you can focus on one of them or you can build like a balanced build and then there's also poison mechanics and explosive mechanics and you can freeze enemies you can petrify enemies you can curse enemies things like that so or rather intimidate enemies is is kind of the curse thing and it's just a fun game it's like I, i think i've put like 40 hours into it and i'm gonna keep going it's got a really hard achievement list it has over 100 achievements so it's like one of those games where you get like five gamer score for each achievement, which is annoying. And some of them are really hard. In fact, quite a few of them are really hard. I think only, if I have a look, only 37 people have completed the base game and 25 people have completed the DLC and the base game combined. And actually, I'm kind of proud of myself because uh, True Achievements did a list of the hardest achievements of 2021. And one of the achievements in this game to complete a run with zero or less attack is on there. And I got that on the 30th of December. So I got one of their like hardest achievements. I have another one as well. I think they have a, um, the lasso achievement for halo infinite, which isn't actually that hard, but I have that one as well. So it's always nice when you like, when there's like a list of like top hardest achievements of the year and you have a bunch of them, it always feels, always feels good. That's really cool. Um, That's really cool. The completion estimate is 60 to 80 hours and I've played about 35 and I've got 890 gamer score out of 1,170. So I'm getting pretty close. Um, I sort of fell off the game in the last couple of days. Like I think I just, I think it's one of those things where I was like, I was doing like five or six runs every day. And then like, eventually you just sort of, I don't know, you just get like fatigued by it. And I think I've sort of fell into that, but I'm, I'm definitely going to go back to it because I am really, really enjoying it. And it's a super simple game, but it's just so well balanced that it's just super fun to play. And is that all for your games? Yeah, that's everything. Well, we're really deep into this podcast and I think that we can do a quick topic on the table. I don't think i have a lot to talk about here if if we do do something like this i want to go a little deeper into it but we were going to talk about our 2021 year in review and i'll just kind of start off with saying i had 44 game completions and that isn't talking about like platinums that's talking about rolling credits which i think is one of the highest i've ever had i think 52 was the other one uh my other highest number but it was such a diverse year of games because i 
played games on my backlog and I played games that I had never touched. And it was it wasn't like the game was stacked or the year was stacked with game releases. So they were kind of spread out. And I mean, I got a bunch of backlog games in and then I would hit a new release and then a bunch of backlog games and then a new release. I mean, I got through all the Halo games except for five uh, and the Wars, Halo Wars games. But that was really fun. It was a little bit more fun to make people angry than it was to play them. But I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I my my favorite thing to hunt this year was probably Kana. It was one of the most difficult that I did this year. And just the way that the difficulty spiked up and like the boss fights. I don't I can't even explain how it feels like, you know, that Pixar movie childish kind of game. But then it kicks your ass and it's like, this is like, I hate referring to everything as Dark Souls, but it's like, you got to know your boss. You need to know its moves. You need to know what to do. You need to really, really have precise pairing skills. And it, it just, it really makes you learn the game. I really enjoyed that. But uh, Resident Evil 8 was fun this year. And I want to give a shout out to Guardians of the Galaxy because it was, I haven't completed the hunt. Actually, this is something that I wanted to tell you. I was going to do that this week. But I didn't because I saw online that there are glitches. There are people who have the trophies glitched out. And I'm like, I don't want to finish. I don't want to yeah, finish the I hunt. Yeah, s- I saw that for the achievement list as well. It sucks. It's kind of slowed me down from playing it. because. Yeah, me too, yeah. dude. I mean, I'm going to replay it. I enjoyed the game a lot, but I just did not expect that. And I got a lot of the trophies already. There's like one thing that I need to do, which is co- complete the compendium. And that... that requires me to get a couple more of the it's not complete the compendium it's like get 60 or 70 percent of the compendium and i can do that easy i have a lot of everything filled out but i'm just seeing that people have the numbers that match like the studio put out a or one of the employees put out a thing they're like this is how many in each category you should have to get the trophy or achievement and i have enough in every category except for the archives which are like basically storytelling around the world but I'm close. And that's what scares me is like, I could, I could end up getting that number and it doesn't pop. And I'm just, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until they patch it. And I still really, really enjoy that game. I never used a walkthrough. And so that kind of shows you where, where it's at. Like I played through and I got all of the outfits in the game. I got most of the guardians collectibles. Like I did all this by exploring and just playing the game myself and that it was really well designed and I was so immersed in the world and the characters talking to each other. It was one of my favorite games of the year for sure. But I can't I can't believe I played 44 games. Yeah, it's, just, it's a lot. I'm going to wait until they have that patch out before I start Guardians, probably. It's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I really want to play it. I mean, there's there's so many games, right? Like, right. And then the more you think about games, the more games just sort of appear out of nowhere. So, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, yeah, I really want to play through it, but I want to, you know, it sucks with first of all it sucks with glitched achievements and trophies because sometimes it feels like very rarely will they patch it and it will unlock like like immediately like usually you have yeah. to redo the thing that you that you did and then sometimes you're and this is probably more rare like the most common outcome is probably the second one where you have to redo what you did and it will work but then there's some where you're just like fucked forever like you're you, like it doesn't matter like because you because you did it, like, the game will, like, save that you did it and you can't, like, remove it from your profile or whatever. Like, the, the tracker is, like, totally busted forever. So, and, and yeah, when you beat a game, you want to be, like, done with it. You don't want it to be, like, in the back of your mind that you're going to have to 
replay it out of obligation and it really can sour the whole experience. So yeah, I'm going to wait, but I've heard great things about the game. Definitely. That's the thing though, man. I'm not, I'm not soured that I have to replay it. I I'm excited to replay it. Like it's a very, very good story. Very, very good game. And I can't wait to see those characters again. I mean, it just does that storytelling level, like par with uncharted where I just love, that's one of my favorite franchise or series in gaming and i just love the characters and i love like seeing the story that was told and i i've played those games over and over because they're just like big action movies and that's how this feels i don't i don't mind replaying it it's not long it's like 15 to 20 hours maybe and that this is me not even like going for collectibles this time well i guess it will be going for collectibles but it's just it's just different i don't mind the replay i just i don't want to go for another like a replay two and then have it glitch out and then have to do a replay three. That's where I don't want, that's where I don't want to be, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. In terms of, um, is it okay if I go with my like summary now? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. For me, I've got like 70 games played, 55 completed in terms of the full thousand. Some of those, probably about 20 of those 55, maybe 15 of them are kind of like meme games. There's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, uh, if if they go on like deep deep sales or they become free, then I might pick them up and play them. And then the other reason is Maka has he gets sent a lot of game codes that go unused, and sometimes in terms of like along with being paid, you know, for for the work I do, I can get a couple of those codes. So you know, I'll, I'll never sort of turn that kind of thing down. And sometimes you get games where they're sort of easy completions and they're also pretty good as well so it's not you know i'm i i don't like to seek it out and i never want that to be like a majority of my gaming profile but i'm okay with a few per year but my most difficult completions were all roguelites and ring of pain is actually in third place even though i'm only 78 percent done with it but number one and number two and number one is also my most played game this year or last year was uh darkest dungeon which i talked about for many weeks it just like completely invaded my life and then dicey dungeons is in seconds so it's like darkest dungeon then dicey dungeons then ring of pain then yakuza zero then halo infinite and then uh you go down a bit and you get to like hades and stuff like that so there's a lot of games that i played quite a lot of roguelikes played undermine as well a good balance of indie games and triple a games i'd say i played unpacking and genesis noir and the artful escape and that sort of thing but i also played you know played alan wake again i played halo i played uh far cry i played some control played some deep rock galactic the gta remasters which were a mistake but you know that there's always that like it always sucks when you add games onto your games that you've played that you then have to commit to completing and you like know it's a mistake and so that's kind of how I feel about the GTA games. Although it has been so long since I've played them that it feels it feels like it's worth it. But I feel like it's been a pretty good year for me for completions and for games. I need to go back to the Ascent as well, but the Ascent had broken achievements and I don't know if they're fixed yet, which really sucks. I was kind of enjoying the game, but also kind of frustrated by it. And that's like an extra nail in the coffin. I need to go back to Back for Blood as well. I don't really like Back for Blood that much. I think Deep Rock Galactic is way better, and I think the original Left 4 Dead games are way better as well. Uh, But they've released a lot of patches for Back for Blood, and they've supported it, and now you can get progression solo, which is great because the AI in that game is actually pretty good. They have like infinite ammo, and they'll also drop you ammo infinitely as well, which is awesome. So it feels like I can get more achievements out of it from the AI 
whenever I feel ready to go back to it. Biggest surprises for me, I mean, like, gotta be like Life is Strange True Colors or Sayonara Wild Hearts, something like that. And yeah, I feel happy with like the genres I've played, the gamer score I've got, the difficulty of the games. My best month was in like, like I had like a really good month in January, a really good month in May, a really good month in August, and then a really good month in December. So it's sort of like split through the year as well in terms of when I sort of played the most and got the most achievements, which is good. You know, it's good to have like an ebb and flow to gaming with everything else in your life and other hobbies and other obligations and things like that. So yeah, I think it was a pretty solid 2021. It's got like, I've got like my best achievements as well, which are like stuff from like Katana Zero and Darkest Dungeon and Yakuza as well. A lot of Yakuza stuff because as we've said, those games are ridiculously long. Like they're not that difficult, but the time commitment you've got to put in is is very very real. That was thorough and really good. Um, yeah, I mean, in in terms of months, I think that April and March were my were my busiest and like my most trophies. Uh, I really destroyed those months. Those I don't think I was in school at that time, so whenever I hit school, things slowed down quite a bit. But yeah, that's it was a good year, <laughs> damn good year. I feel like I had a lot of fun with games, and we started this show, which is really. Really one of the coolest projects that I've ever done, that's for sure. Let's talk about the trophy and achievement of the week. I I don't know if you saw this, but Space Rock Galactic is going to be free on PS Plus. And I started looking uh, yeah, through... Deep, deep Rock Galactic. Oh, Deep. I put space yeah. in the in the thing. Thank you for correcting that. Deep. Yeah, you would have got a million comments and angry emails. That's right. <laughs> um, so Deep Rock Galactic. And I started looking through the trophies to you know look through what i need to do it's very hard i saw is it really yes well very time consuming list ah okay time consuming that's not so bad because i think i'm gonna play it with friends so we can just i'll just have that as a back burner game where i'm like constantly going back to it but um i saw this achievement that says foreign objects and launch in the launch bay and it says you kicked out or you kicked every barrel into the launch bay you are why mission control drinks and i'm like oh this is a good write-up like this is these these achievements like all have really good write-ups and i was i was like i cannot wait to play this game it looks funny it you know it it looks good yeah the hub area is awesome in that game there's like uh there's an achievement for like bouncing on top of a barrel for ages as well because the physics collision is like like the physics um of like when you stand on an object it like teleports you around a little yeah it's got it's got a, a really good list i'd say i'd say it's like it's time consuming, but it's also like a list you'd be really proud of as well, which is like kind of sort of like the best. If if the game is actually good, it's the best. If the game sucks yeah. and it's like 200 hours, then you want to you want to murder everyone on, on the planet. But, you know, I'm, I'm also thinking about buying the like if they have one a season pass because it has several expansions to it. And I'm like, yeah, all of the uh, all of the content that isn't cosmetic is totally free, which is nice. what? Uh, what the season pass is just for like cosmetics Uh, okay even like the new weapons they add and the new mission types all of that's free and it's really great the developers seem uh just fantastic in terms of like the community support and and everything like essentially when you buy the season pass you're like buying new beards for your dwarves basically so right that's really awesome i had no idea about that thank you for telling me dude this is exciting (laughs) this is so exciting yeah, it, I, I need to get back to it, definitely. I mean, things... Obviously, Halo took everything over. Well, first of all, Call of Duty took everything over for me. Well, actually, first of all, Forza Horizon took everything over for me. Then <laughs> then Call of Duty, which came out the same day. Then Halo Infinite. So 
it's kind of like being like multiplayer game after multiplayer game. Well, actually, yeah. So Back for Blood came out in October. So it was everyone was playing that. And then that kind of sucked. Well, it, it's it's a good game, I, I think. It, it's just not, I don't know. It's not what, it, it didn't live up to the hype, I guess. It didn't live up to the heritage of Left 4 Dead. Um, but it's still pretty good. But then, so it's like you're looking for something different and then found Deep Rock Galactic. But by then, it's like the end of October, early November-ish. And then Call of Duty and Forza come out like right then. And then the Halo multiplayer comes out like two weeks later or one or two weeks later. And then since then, it's just been Halo. So I need to get back to it. But it's like there's there was a there was such like a ton of multiplayer stuff that came out at the end of the year, which makes sense because, you know, Christmas and families and new consoles and all that stuff in terms of my achievement of the week uh it's from ring of pain it's called a hard carry and the achievement is to fully upgrade the spoon now the spoon is kind of a meme item in the game it reduces your defense by a certain amount and then it reduces your attack by a certain amount but it increases your health by almost that amount and as you upgrade the spoon to upgrade the spoon, you have to complete a run with the spoon. And then each upgrade, it's like a regular spoon. And then it becomes like a bronze spoon and then becomes like a silver spoon and then like a gold spoon and then a platinum spoon. And each upgrade, the item becomes even worse. So, what? Um, you well, it becomes more powerful as in like the negative debuff of armor and attack that you get becomes bigger, but the amount of health that you get also becomes bigger. Oh. But it's always in a in a case where like, Let's say you get 11 health, like plus 11 health. You'll get minus 12 attack and defense combined. So like, like minus six and minus six. So you never, like you never will want to take it because it's never even like an even trade. If that makes sense, like you never get positive attributes that are proportional to the negative attributes. And also in the way the game works. So the defense defense stat is like based on how much damage you take so if like if like an enemy has five attack and you have three defense you take two damage from the attack right so if you have minus six defense at the start of your run an enemy could be doing one damage but instead he's now going to do seven damage to you and so even though you get like plus 12 plus 11 health it really doesn't matter because within two turns you've just lost all of that health and you would have been like totally fine if you didn't have that negative defense. So the item really sucks. And so it's kind of like a challenge mode, like an additional difficulty in the game based on the item itself, which is quite cool because there's also difficulties in the game as well, like separate to that. And yeah, it's sort of like what I do is there's an item that lets you have an, like choose any other uh, common grade item and have it at the start of your run. So I did that for my spoon runs because if I waited to find it organically from like the item boxes and stuff and from the chests, the problem would be like I would be building a run a certain way because it's one of those games again, it's like Slay the Spire where the items you get will sort of shape your run. Like you'll have to think carefully about how you play based on what you get, right? And you'll always have to adapt to that. And so my logic was like if if I find the spoon... I might have to like totally throw away my run and completely reformat it to make it work with the spoon. And that's going to be super hard. 
So instead, I'll just have the spoon with me right at the start and then try to counteract its negatives immediately, like right from the start of the run. And it makes the start of the run really, really difficult because even like the basic enemies that usually do like no damage, they're like almost wiping you out in one hit all of a sudden. So you have to like rapidly change to it. And the first few like stat upgrades you get are basically to just get your attack up to zero and your defense to zero because right at the start, they're at like minus six each which is obviously really, really bad. And and it can also snowball because the way the game works is when you defeat monsters, you get like, you get souls, which is like currency to open chests and to buy items. And so if at the start your attack is like minus six and your defense is like minus six, the basic enemies that are really good for like farming souls early on, like getting early souls quickly, you can't kill them. You have to run away from them and just go to the next floor without killing any of them. But then that puts you on the back foot for the next floor, because then you have no money to get, like, the... uh, Like, it basically snowballs out of control and gets, like, worse and worse and worse and worse until you can, like, struggle against the deficit that you've got. But it's my achievement of the week, because it's a really brutal achievement, and it's also, like, a really interesting achievement and a really clever item that was added into the game in terms of how it makes you think and play the game differently on sort of this extra difficulty modifier. That is really cool. And I also like how it changes like bronze, silver, gold, platinum. I think that's really cool. I think that's like a good touch. Yeah. Man, that sounds tough. When you fully upgrade it, you get this item called the inverted candle. And what it does is it, it's like another difficulty mode where, and there's an achievement for completing a run with that as well. And what it does is it, every item in the game, all of its stats become inverted. So if like this, like axe is going to give you two extra attack and two extra speed, Instead, it gives you minus two speed and minus two attack. And so if you play in inverted candle mode, you have to like, you basically, all the items that are bad in the game become good and all the good items become bad. And it also means that like early game, there's a lot of items in like the common variety where like they have like a positive, but they also have a serious drawback. Whereas the items towards the end of the game, like the epics and the legendaries, usually they're just like amazing all the way through. But because you're playing like this inverted candle mode, it's like the total opposite where it's like the items at the start of the game tend to be the best items and then the items at the end suck. And also what it does is it gives you the diamond spoon or the platinum spoon at the start of the run when you're in that inverted candle mode. And since it's inverted, what it does is it gives you plus six attack, plus six defense, but then minus 11 health. And you only start a run on 12 health. So you have one HP for the start of the run. So it's like a really interesting, like, if you can get your HP up really quickly, you become quite strong because plus six attack and plus six defense is really good. And yeah, it's just such like a cool, it's so like well thought out how they did all the mechanics to the game and um, and all of like the stats and all the items and everything. So yeah, highly recommend Ring of Pain for people to check out if they want like a really, you know, it's it's not, it, 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 you know, the game was made by like two people. It's not a flashy game it's uh you know turn-based and all that kind of thing so don't it's expect so really you know cool. hades or anything like that but right it's um <laughs> it, it's it, it's really thoughtful and uh i've really enjoyed the achievement list what a what a cool achievement to bring that's so unique i feel like do you have anything else to say no i any think any final uh, thoughts i think that's it I'm, I'm gonna try and play it takes two soon so oh that, i'm excited to hear your thoughts on that forward to it yeah it's really cool do you have someone to play it with yes okay that's what's up it's gonna be fun dude i like that game yeah i, think I, I joseph, can't wait to hear joseph harris is great uh, that um yeah we talked about tim schaefer earlier there's that great interview between 
I watched them, it. Right? Yeah, the, I watched it. Highly recommend that to anyone listening that they check out. I think it's with Min Max. Um, yes. Joseph Harris and Tim Schafer in conversation with each other. Yeah, I was I was nearing the end of Psychonauts two whenever I decided like to eat and I I just wanted to like continue that and I just saw the interview between Joseph Harris and and Tim Schafer and I was like this is exactly what I need while I'm waiting and it was it was such a good interview such like it was a wholesome interview like especially learning like the creative side of both of these games just so interesting and so different you know but yeah that's a that's a really good final thought there but uh thanks everyone for listening uh peace out and happy hunting see ya